Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Our special guest today is Casey Chalk. He covers religion and other issues for the American Conservative and is also a senior writer for Crisis Magazine. He has degrees in history and teaching from the University of Virginia and a Master's of Theology from Christendom College. And today we're going to talk about an article that that he wrote in the American Conservative called Woke Parenting Eats Its Own, a very compelling article. Thanks, Casey, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. So I I read the article, and uh, very compelling. I was reading it, and and everything made perfect sense. What kind of uh, led you to writing this article? What did you see that you're like, hey, I have to bring this to people's attention? Sure. Um, So uh, as a native Northern Virginian, um, I subscribe to the Washington Post, even though a lot of my uh, conservative friends uh, think uh, I might have a couple screws loose for (laughs) reading a publication that is so antagonistic, not not just towards the conservatism, but towards the Catholic faith as well. But uh, it is my it is my hometown paper, and I also do find a lot of good uh, ideas <laughs> for my writing. Um, so uh, w- when I first read the article, um, I-, I suppose in some senses I wasn't terribly surprised to read about um, a couple of families from the Washington, D.C. area and the difficulties that they were having with their kids. Um, and just to provide a brief summary of that, so uh, these are these are two girls. Uh, teenagers in the D.C. area who come from, you know, very good families or, you know, uh, you know middle-class families. Right. Um, and uh, these are some of the best school districts in the United States. So they're getting a great education, uh, well, at least from a secular perspective. Um, and, uh, and they're wearing very provocative clothes to school on a daily basis, which is upsetting to their parents. Um, but I, I guess I, I saw an immediate irony in that uh, both sets of parents were obviously trying very hard to be woke, right? They're trying to be um, attentive to the latest cultural trends and sensibilities. They don't want to be viewed as bigoted or uh, misogynist, uh, as one of the one of the daughters accuses a father yeah, of being. I did read that. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, so in, in, at one degree, there's no real surprise here. I mean, this is kind of like a, a, a dog beats uh, bites man kind of story, right? I mean, as I say in my article, you know, people have been complaining about uh, children and, and especially teenagers and their their recklessness, their disrespect for their parents, that kind of thing. I mean, this has been going on since the time of Aristotle and before, right? Um, so, in that sense, there's, there's nothing. That, there's nothing all that earth shattering, but what is new is the perspective of the parents because they themselves um, are, are, are from a, a time in American history that sought to throw off um, all the traditions and uh, constraints of the past. Um, so in, 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 another, in, a, in a different sense, they're actually, their kids are modeling the behavior that they have seen from their parents who have told them that they should be distrustful of authority, um, that the, um, the traditional stories about American history um, are, 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 should be questioned, um, and they're actually you know, full of uh, bigotry and prejudice. So basically, don't trust anybody or anything. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, so 
um, what's what's problematic here is that the parents are are feeding into their uh, their children's own sense of victimhood, which um, it's pretty ridiculous as someone who grew up in Northern Virginia to, that this idea that uh, that these two girls are somehow victims that are uh, suffering from a, a patriarchal society. Um, I mean, like, I, again, as I say in my article, I don't, I can't imagine that there's anybody in their school system, um, in any of the the sports teams or any other activities that they're doing that is telling them that uh, that they're not that they're not good enough, right? If anything, they're hearing the opposite. They're probably um, getting a trophy for everything they're doing. Right. Um, and I'm sure they'll probably end up going to good schools again, probably from a, from a secular perspective and, and be able to get good jobs. Um, so this whole idea of these girls needing to, um, dress provocatively in order to, uh, have a, a sense of self-expression and, and to demonstrate their independence from this uh, oppressive patriarchal society is, is a bit ludicrous. Yeah. Well, you had a, you had an interesting quote in here and, and several of them actually, but you say, you know, so much for being progressive parents who labor to get their kids to like them by encouraging their self-actualization. Such an approach, even the research tells us, is bound to fail. And so they're trying an approach that they have no shot at. And actually, one of the parents actually said their daughter dressed like a prostitute. Right, right. I, yeah, and just, I mean, I give him credit for that. Um, because, I mean, I... I didn't. I didn't see his daughter, but I, I, based on the kinds of clothing that I've seen teenagers wear, that, that sounds about spot on. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, you had parents who who didn't like the system, and now their kids, and they've taught their kids not to like it. So now they do whatever they want. So modesty is kind of out the window, right? I mean, at this point, modesty, decency, forget it. We're gonna do whatever we want, even though we're in this Me Too culture where women are objectified. I mean, pornography is running rampant. I mean, you know, you have the Jeffrey Epstein story, you have uh, Weinstein, I mean, all these stories, and yet they think somehow this is the way to go. Right. And I, I think it's because there, there's a bit of a conflation. I, so if a, if a parent tells his daughter who's dressing provocatively, you know, you really shouldn't dress like that because it's inviting it's, it's inviting certain kind of behavior from members of the opposite sex. She'll say, well, you're justifying that male behavior. Well, no, no, he's not. <laughs> no, not, I mean, a, a parent probably is not. I, presumably the parent just knows how... Um, how it works. Right, exactly. How men and women are, are wired differently. Um, so, no, of, co of course, women dressing provocatively is never a justification for um, aggressive or unwanted... Um, male sexual overtures. But all the same, when one dresses like this, it is going to uh, provoke certain reactions. Well, and, and the reactions, you know, you may get the attention, but it's not the attention you want because it's not for the person you are. I mean, they're doing this trying to, I guess, feel better, but in the end, they're just objectifying themselves. Right. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. Right. Which is sort of, that's, that's also the cruel and sad irony of this is that their forms of self-expression and creativity are actually, in, in many respects, undermining their personhood. Yeah, and yet they go out, parents aren't happy, but they've already created or kind of created an atmosphere, as you mentioned before, of distrust, right? Forget about traditional things. So it's almost hard to put the genie back in the bottle after you've been telling your kids this stuff, and now... They've gone to a point, and you want to kind of reel them back in. It's hard to do. Yeah, 
Right. That's exactly right. And that sort of that comes out in the Washington Post article that I'm responding to um, in this this great quote where one of the daughters calls her mother a second wave feminist, which is meant as a slight, I guess, because the, the mom is not feminist enough. And the you know, 16, 17 year old daughter has a much uh, fuller, more complete understanding of what feminism is. And in some senses, her, her, yeah, her mother is a, is a uh, in, not sufficiently woke feminist. Yeah. So describe the definition of woke. There may be people listening here say, I don't even know what he's talking about. Now, I know it's a relatively new term, but we're hearing it pretty regularly. What's the definition of woke? Yeah. So it, it comes from, uh, it, it's sort of like a synonym for being awake. Right. Um, sort of, you know, putting like a cool trendy spin on it. Um, the woke person is someone who is up to date with all of the latest um, social and cultural trends and opinions about uh, victim statuses and prejudice and discrimination, patriarchy in our society, right? So any um, anything that's perceived as perpetuating a patriarchal oppressive system on people who are viewed as minority status, which and they, what what can quantify as a minority status continues to grow, right? It's not just um, to women or African-Americans or Latinos, but it can basically, I, I, it seems to be, it can be almost any race, any ethnicity, any group of people that can make a claim to victimhood. Um, one, a, a woke person is going to be very attentive to the, to the demands of those people. Yeah. And so we see it, you know, we see it all over the place, unfortunately. I mean, the definition, thanks for defining that. Cause I'm sure people like, some are like, what does that mean? But it, it makes sense. I mean, we see this world in which we live and, you know, everybody's bought into the culture. They've bought into secularism. Yet we see, you know, teen suicide going up. We see divorce. I mean, we see all these terrible things, yet people keep pushing the, the limits further and further. And now the kids of parents who were pushing the limits continue to push it. Parents aren't even happy. But, you know, we've almost started this ball rolling. It almost seems like it has to crash before people are going to get the message. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a little pessimistic in the sense that things, as you mentioned before, with the hashtag Me Too movement, things are already crashing and burning. Right. Right. Like throughout, throughout the 80s and 90s, we, uh, well, even before that, going all the way back to the sexual revolution of the 60s, we've been promoting this idea that as long as uh, sexual interactions are consensual, which is a pretty ridiculously low barrier, um, and it's also up for debate in terms of what counts as consent, um, then any kind of sexual behavior is, uh, is, can be approved. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's re it's, it's showing its fruits, but unfortunately, um, we, we seem to still not be learning our lesson. No. And so, you know, we want to criticize guys and rightfully so they've done some really terrible things, but, you know, as you were kind of mentioning before about, you know, dads know, I mean, to debt, to dress provocative like that, and who knows how you're acting and how you're talking. My guess is it's a whole package deal. Uh, you know, you bring out the worst in guys who may be trying, you know, are trying to be chaste and trying to live modestly. Yet this is all they see, whether it's at school and the news on billboards. I mean, you're just getting bombarded with it. Right, exactly. And as you, you mentioned with um, pornography, right, I've, um, Matt Frad, for example, has a very good 
uh, book on pornography where he goes through looking at a lot of the statistics and the development of the content of pornography, and it, it's become increasingly more aggressive and violent towards women. So these are the kinds of images that young men are seeing. And I mean, I hate to put it this bluntly, but monkey see, monkey do, right? So if, yeah. if teenage, teenage boys, young men are seeing um, sexual images and videos where women are being mistreated um, and, and there's violence involved, then they're going to want to act that out as well because they think that's normal. Yeah, there was a quote in a book that I read not too long ago. It's called Problems Arise, However, When Women Use Their Vices Rather Than Their Virtues to Get What They Want or Need. I mean, they're, they're going about it the, exactly the wrong way. Uh, you know, they're, they're even making fun of mom as a second-class feminist. But feminism just keeps pushing the envelope at the expense of themselves. Yeah. And it just, yes. and when it, you know, it's affecting families, uh, you know, it's affecting, and now we can see the children, how, you know, girls are dressing and how they want to continue, as I said before, pushing the envelope. And this is just two girls. I mean, right, this is probably, there's probably nowhere in the country where this example isn't happening. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. And I think the reason why they, I mean, it, some of the people who have commented on my article have said, oh, you're just taking two you know, particular cases and then making these universal claims. But I've, I've traveled enough, and, I've inter- and as a former uh, high school school teacher, I've seen enough of um, teenage culture to know that this is, uh, this is widespread in American culture. Yeah, and, and people still aren't happy, right? I mean, they push the envelope. I mean, in the end, you know, faith and what chastity is, you know, to kind of live your, your part in life the right way and being modest and, and, you know, saving yourself for marriage and all those things that ultimately the happiness and joy have been all thrown out the window. And and now it's, you know, who can push the envelope further? Who can be more extreme or wear less and still get away with it? Right. Right. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, like you said, talk about, um, you know, at some point things have to crash and burn so much, but I suppose we can still, you know, they're, they're still wearing clothing, so it's, I guess it, in a way it could get worse. Yeah, and, you know, it's 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 funny. You know, you went to Christendom College. There's a lot of good, faithful Catholic colleges where girls don't dress like that. They don't act like that, and they're happy, right? I mean, they're not worried about trying to outdo each other, well, maybe to some degree, but not like your article's pointing out. So there is happiness and joy in living modestly and, and kind of, making sure that Christ is your model, the Virgin Mary is your model. I mean, in the end, they may mock her, but they're running away from exactly where they need to be running to. Yes. Yeah, and actually, so there's um, there's a really interesting article that was just recently published by Elizabeth Corey over at First Things, uh-huh. where she talks about um, the objective goods of what um, – what contemporary culture would perceive as a very highly regulated summer camp for girls in North Carolina, right? So this is one that she attended previously. Now she's sending her 14-year-old daughter there. And they, the girls have all these mandatory activities, right? There's a set daily schedule that maybe the Washington Post or a lot of our contemporary liberal culture would view as very constraining, right? They don't have access to internet or smartphones while they're there. But they're forced more or less to develop friendships with the girls in their cabins, with the, the people that they have to eat with, they play games with. They have very limited interaction with a nearby boy summer camp. They can write letters with the boys, but it takes several days because there are counselors that basically look at these letters to make sure there's nothing untoward in them. 
but what's paradoxical in the right way. Right, exactly. Exactly. But what's paradoxical is that the children are actually appreciating these restrictions, right? And that's why multiple generations of Americans have now sent their daughters to this place, right? Because the guardrails that this summer camp have set up provide a kind of necessary protection at a time of great like volatility and vulnerability in their lives. So the limitations are enabling them to actually explore who they really are and develop real life, real life skills like teamwork and creativity, survival in the wilderness. Um, and I think that this is analogous to parenting, right? If we give kids total freedom, they're going to drown and they're going to develop all kinds of psychological or interpersonal problems that because they can't handle that level of autonomy yet, right? They're still developing. Um, but if we create boundaries and guide them to find themselves and develop within the boundaries, they're going to flourish. And in time, they'll be mature enough where they can thrive with more and more freedoms. Yeah, I mean, so basically what you're saying, if parents actually do their job, which is what we're all called to do, we've been given these gifts. The Lord gives us these gifts and says, hey, have them get to know me. Please raise them right. They are, they are the gift. They're mine, but I'm lending them to you. And if parents actually take that responsibility seriously from an early age, because let's, let's face it, if all of a sudden you try to flip a switch when a kid's 13, it's not going to happen. Right. Right. That's right. Yeah. Because a lot of these habits have been so deeply built into them by that time. Yeah. And I think one of the issues that I see and, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, if if you've seen it when you're writing this article or just kind of looking around is I see too many parents who are trying to be the friends of their children. And what you're trying to be a friend, you can't be a friend and a parent. Those are those do not go together. Right. So, yeah, I. Certainly, like, I'm a a father myself of three. I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. There's plenty of opportunities for us to play and have fun, but my wife and I try to very clearly, you know, (laughs) communicate to our children that, uh, that, you know, we're authority figures and that they're expected to fall in line and that certain behaviors are not okay and that, you know, we are the mentors, we're the instructors. Um, And, uh, yeah, so I'm not going to try and persuade my kids to um, to do certain good behaviors by kind of like coming alongside of them and talking to them as if you know I'm just their buddy and maybe if they can just see things my way. <laughs> no, I understand. I understand that you know they're again they, because they haven't developed enough. They don't have the em- empathic ability to see things from my perspective. They just need to be told that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. And as they develop, just as I did uh, with a lot of the par- instruction my parents gave me. I- they'll begin to understand why it is that we set the guardrails in the places we did. Yeah, and I mean, I have four children. My youngest is going to be 25, so I've, I've dealt with this, although the world is not quite as friendly as it was back then, even though it wasn't great back then. But, you know, you mentioned, you know, uh, the kids thinking their parents are clueless, backwards, worthy of scorn and derision. Now, that happens to all of us, right? We all think our parents, you know, have a hard time adding two plus two until we become parents, and then we realize... Geez, they were a lot smarter than I thought they were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I can certainly speak from experience in that regard. Um, <laughs> um, so, which I, yeah, like you said, I think all parents can appreciate that. That once you're once you're in the thick of the battle, then you realize uh, you either were given the necessary skills to to swim, or you're going to sink. So you know, we look at this, and you know, we you know we're painting kind of a bleak picture because of what it is. You know, what do you think? You know, if a parent's listening to this today, now, hopefully they're a parent with young children like yourself, where, you know, they can start early, but what should parents do? What, what 
you know, they, they read this, they see, you know, the train coming. What should they do to make sure that they don't get run over and they and they put themselves in this culture where, you know, let's let's get it, you know, let's dress like we're working a street corner because we want to get attention that way. What can parents do early on to kind of help keep this from happening? Sure. Well, probably I would argue that one of the most effective things is just going to be shielding our kids from screen time and and most certainly uh, any kind of screen time where they're by themselves, where they're not being monitored, right? Because I see this even with kids in our neighborhood who are seven, eight years old, and their parents have given them a smartphone, right, where they're able to go and just kind of look through the phone. And, you know, it could be something somewhat benign like Facebook or Instagram, but there's still going to be a lot of images there that are going to communicate a certain idea of what femininity or sexuality look like, right? So I think that we need to be very mindful of the kinds of things that we're exposing our kids to because it doesn't take very many um, exposures for kids to develop ideas about what is good or beautiful, right? Like I'm amazed sometimes I'll say something to my wife in the presence of my eldest uh, child, my six-year-old, and then a month or two later, later, she will remind me of the thing I said to her. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe she was listening that closely, right? But they are – kids are tuned in. So if we allow them to see those kinds of images or develop – certain ideas about what beauty looks like, they're going to run with it. Well, they are. They're like little sponges. And so I have a grandson that lives with us, and I, I'm the same way. And I, half the time, I can't remember what I said 10 minutes ago. And he's remembering what I said, like you said, a month ago. You know, there's a good book out there. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Made This Way by Layla Miller and Trent Horn. You know, how to talk about some of these topics, and modesty is one of them. Uh, they kind of go through what natural law is. But how do you talk to young children and how do you talk to teens? Because one of the things I've seen talking to parents, and I don't know if you've seen this as well, you know, there's topics like transgender and different things that are going on that they just feel they're totally outclassed. So they don't say anything. And that's the exact opposite. What you're saying is, look, we've got to be parents. We can't abdicate and let society teach our kids. Otherwise, we're going to get what you're writing about. Right. That's exactly right. So. You know, so the negative, right, is, is protecting them from a lot of the negative influences in our culture, but there's a positive component too, right? I mean, there's lots of great uh, Catholic or even non-Catholic literature, children's stories out there that um, present a much more biblical um, and, uh, and, and beautiful idea of what femininity, sexuality look like, right? So my, again, like my wife and I are very careful about the kinds of books we read to our kids, right? So we look, we look for books, especially for my eldest daughter, that are going to uh, provide images and stories of women that, that she's going to be able to, to resonate with and appreciate, right? Like Tan has, Tan Books has a lot of great series on, on female saints. So we love to read those stories to my daughter because I want her to be a saint. I want her to be excited about being a saint rather than wanting to be a supermodel or like a Disney princess with <laughs> like a lot of cleavage or, you know, whatever. Right, right. <clears throat> yeah, and I mean, in the end, I mean... At, at their age that you're talking to your kids are, you're their heroes right now, right? They haven't gotten into this mindset where you don't know what you're talking about. They value everything you say, as you were talking about earlier, right? They not only hear it, but they're repeating it. Right. Right. So I think, um, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and you know, you mentioned like older, older, you know, older kids, like teenagers and such. So I'll, I'll give one 
example of uh, something, of course, this is not going to be applicable to a lot of folks, but I think there are probably ways that you can apply a similar idea, right? So my wife and I, for several years, we lived uh, overseas in Thailand, which you may know is the, like basically the sex capital of the world. Yeah, sex traffic. Yeah, so right. So we I mean we we joke that we uh we lived basically a stone's throw from one of the red light districts. The city doesn't have one red light district, it has about a half dozen. Um which is which is very sad um and and, and terrible um in a, a human rights crisis in many respects. But some of the other friends that we had there, friends from our Catholic parish, um they had daughters who were um teenagers. And one of the things that Sometimes we would do we would go out for a meal together with their teenagers, and you know we weren't like purposefully walking through a red light district, but having them get to see what um, girls basically their own age or maybe just a little bit older are doing like this this is where objectification and sexual liberation this is where it ultimately leads to right like that's that was very much clearly the message by girls be, like seeing this right these these young women who are prostituting themselves out on the street. Um, and I think it was a very arresting image for them. And I, I, I think many times it led the, these teenage girls that were, you know, members of the expat, expat community in Bangkok to go, oh, my gosh, like what I what I wear does matter because these, you know, these these prostitutes on the street, they don't look all that different from some of the girls at, you know, the American school. Um, and is that really the, the, the message that I want to communicate? Yeah, I mean, what, what great what a great objective lesson. Now everybody can't see that, but you know what? Now you're talking about you can go to high schools and see, you know, just because they're doing this, they're not happy. It's not bringing right. them the happiness and fulfillment and the right attention that they're looking for. So, you know, it's not going to be this panacea that they think it's going to be. And so the more I think people write articles like you're writing and, and bring this up, hopefully parents will get the message and, and start talking to their kids. You know, I'm sure many are, but those who aren't to say, Hey, look, if you want happiness and joy, it comes in modesty. It comes in not being objectified, but being seen with the innate dignity you were created with. Yeah, right. That's right. Um, and, uh, and there's, there's much more beauty, I would say in a, in a, in a woman, you know, like a, a, a teenager or a, you know, a girl at Christendom who's dressed modesty, modestly, yep. than you know, someone who's, you know, showing off everything she has. Well, Casey, we're down to about 20 seconds or so. How can people follow what you're doing? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm a contributor, uh, like you mentioned at the beginning, at the American Conservative, um, Crisis Magazine, New Oxford Review. I also have a website, caseychalk.com, uh, where you can see a lot of the latest articles that I've published. And your appearance on Journey Home, so they can really hear your whole story. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I am a convert to the faith. All right. Well, thank you, Casey. Appreciate your time. 